Welcome again to the DOS Champions Podcast. It's the 14th of November. Feeling pretty good about our win against Mexico. I'm joined by my good man, Ryan Tooney, as per usual. Ryan, what's the word, dude? Oh, what a glorious victory. Those, uh, those games against Mexico are so much Coming out on top means so, so much, especially when we played the way that we did. Yeah, it's really a pleasure to be here and uh, get to talk about stuff in such a positive light. So, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for it. It is the best. As always, follow us at Champions DOS on Twitter. Um, without further ado, let us jump into it. So, um, we're going to start off by talking about the U.S. men's national team against Mexico. We'll close out with the Jamaica preview and a flavor of what we've got coming up next week. Uh, but let's dive into men's national team versus um, Mexico. Ryan, what's your initial reaction to the game? Uh, well, we just like, it's a really good vibe uh, right now. Um, the the whole like, you know, man in the mirror thing is, is putting a nice, a nice top on it. Um, we have real quality and we played in the capacity that, that showed it. Um, I, I was kind of railing and I felt like the, um, you know, like the, the guy that was just idealistic a lot during the last time. And even when all this podcast had me being like, oh man, he's like basically th- throwing shade at people that hold the point of view that I have. Um, but I feel kind of vindicated. Like we, we played with quality. We, we, we showed, we were brave. We, we pressed them. Um, we were the better team. And we don't need to be afraid and we don't need to, to let the other team have the ball. We can go out and be ourselves and win. Um, that kind of thing is, it just makes me so incredibly happy. Yeah, I agree. Um, on that note, we can safely assume now that we can snot teams in CONCACAF. This was something that we had been talking about for a while and it was often con contrasted with um, po- other opinions in media that, oh, CONCACAF is tough. You don't understand what it's like. Um, we were head and shoulders the better team in this game, almost in every regard, uh, from the goalkeeper to defenders to midfield to forwards. And um, for the fan base and the things that we talk about, I think we're past the point of trying to wonder, can we put out a good roster? Can we get it down? And now we're going to start finding ourselves in um, a whole new type of conversation related to the way that the men's national team should play, which I think is more oriented towards, okay, we've got all these great players. What kind of substitutes do we use and when? That's going to be a fast approaching conversation, but it's a great conversation to be having and it represents um, achieving at this level and knowing what we're capable of, which is, I think, heads and shoulders being the best team in CONCACAF. Oh, we are most definitely the kings of CONCACAF right now, and it it is quite, quite glorious. Um, I think we should probably get into into the nuts and bolts, the real meat of it here. Um, the roster selection. I think Greg did a fantastic job with the way he deployed the team, um, both uh, tactically and in terms of personnel. There's a really good mix of pragmatism, and then also uh, we played brave, which which I really appreciate a lot. Uh, yeah, in general, I thought he he did a great job with personnel selection. My idealism would make me want to have Richards in instead, specifically 
instead of Zimmerman. But I think Greg uh, is right in this situation to play Zimmerman. Um, the the times when he would like hoof the ball long when maybe he could have brought it down and then tried to maintain possession while initially they, they come off at least to somebody like me where I'm like, Oh, I wish you would try to have a little bit more quality. I think weathering the nerves is a, is a huge thing there, but um, yeah, I guess we should get into some of the other stuff. Yeah. I, I just want to note that I also think Greg got it right. Um, he, he got so many things right. Um, from the combination of Robinson and, and Zimmerman, uh, who played really well in the back and didn't try to get too fancy, to the uh, and even starting Zach Steffen, that 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 trio was important. Zach Steffen was able to really kind of be the guy who passed out of the back, and Zimmerman and Robinson were just lights out defending. I mean, he got it right there. He got it right with his substitutions. Um, and even the adjustments that he made, I mean, 11 Yanks pointed this out. Um, even the adjustments that he made in halftime where he had Adams pressing a little bit more and Wesson Musa holding back a little bit so that they could initiate their press properly, Berhalter got it right. Yeah, uh, the whole the whole nine yards, right personnel, right uh, mentality, right adjustments. It's, it's very good. Um, you touched on Stefan a little bit there. I think a couple other of the top performers... I mean, we gotta we gotta talk about Wea, of course. The um, hey USMNT, let's tweet out who the three candidates for man of the match are, and not include Wea. Uh, the guy who was, was the man of the match, really, <laughs> is so ridiculous. I can't believe that they they didn't put him on that tweet. I'm not sure what they were watching exactly, uh, but yeah, Wea was absolutely on fire. Um, I think he had four for four dribble attempts. His ability at pace is so good and. When he can drive at the defender like he did on his assist, and he did it a few other times, you know, drive at the defender, push them back, really manipulate where they are forced to position themselves, buy time for those runners to get in, and then lash crosses in with great pace and excellent position. Uh, it It's really nice to have a player like that, even in the um, I think it might have been like the fifth minute on the one Pepe kind of whiffed. Uh, he put in a really nice ball, came in a bit earlier. Wea is able to play very fast, like just in terms of running, but also his ability to um, to cross while moving at pace is is a cut above most of the other players we have and can really cause problems for opposing defenses. Yeah. Um... Wea seems to play at a different level with the United States. It's almost like wearing that he really takes wearing that jersey seriously. Um, but you mentioned during the game as we were watching it uh, how important it was to be decisive early in the game and not get too fancy or not get too much in your head. He was really progressing the play and setting the tempo early on. But yeah, Wea for me was the man of the match. Yeah, I think he he is for a lot of people. And and yeah, I think um, what what you said there about easing into the match or, or not trying to get too fancy. It, uh, we weathered the nerves very well in general, and Greg did a really good job of putting the correct guys in there and probably giving them the correct instruction. This is always something that you know we don't have good insight into, but it looked to me like they were defaulting to just, well, if I don't know that I can like do the perfect thing, at least I'm going to do the thing that produces an overall good state 
for the team. And Weya was doing that constantly with winning, um, you know, putting balls in that maybe wouldn't make it through, but we're forcing the other team to get in the way and get us a throw in or a corner kick. Yeah, agreed. Moving on down the list, um, we've got Weston as one of the top performers. So, you know, our top performers are uh, Zach Steffen, Tim Weya, uh, Wes, and Christian Pulisic. As far as Wes goes, um, he just seems like the best player on the field. Um, he feel it always. He seems like he's going to make the right decision every time. Um, it feels like he's going to win every 50-50 ball. He can progress the ball. Um, his even his passing early on in the game was setting the tempo for what the midfield needed to do. So, Wes was an absolute boss out there. Yeah, we're very lucky to have him. The guy's a top, top professional. He's so young still. He's so athletic. He's dangerous on set plays. Um. He, he goes to bat for his teammates. He, he has, there's so much like joy when he's, when he's playing well and, and interacting with his teammates when they do well, you know, some of the goal celebration stuff and everything, all these little things, I think, um, while they're not the necessarily the kind of things that are going to win you a game when you're talking about how he celebrates or whatever, it just gives you such a good vibe and, and everybody can buy into that. And he's the kind of guy that can really like bring a group together and then hold it together and be like, this is how we fight. Like in the, uh, you know, the whole eye gouging uh, scenario. We'll get to more of that later. Yeah. Um, and then finally, we've got Christian Pulisic, who basically, uh, I got to give credit to Greg, subbing him on at the time he did, came into the game and immediately made an impact. Yeah, it was beautiful. He's so clutch. Um, he's got ice water in his veins, as people will say. One thing I think he does is he allows everyone else to to raise their level uh, not in a, oh, I facilitate and put people in really good positions, but just the way that he plays and how he is constantly like going at it, the, the lead by example kind of thing. And then just being so good, it gives everybody else confidence that like good things are going to happen when he gets the ball. And then I think that bleeds into their mentality when they're like, well, good things can happen when I get the ball too. Um, so yeah, another player we're just so lucky to have. Um. So moving into the players who didn't play up to um, probably their own expectations, but who we definitely thought could have done a better job, um, we've got Ricardo Pepe and Anthony Robinson. So maybe we should start with Ricardo Pepe. Uh, Ryan, give me your take on how Ricardo played. All right, I don't want to. I don't want to steal your thunder too much here because I know you have been, even um, you know, expressing just base the basic concept that we shouldn't consider Ricardo Pepe our locked-in number nine. It's okay to say something like that, everyone, but still think that, you know, he's really good. Like it isn't, it isn't a one, it's not a dichotomy here, but we do need to, you know, think about things critically and point out when people perform under par. And I believe Ricardo Pepe did not perform at his normal level. He looked like he's a bit off the pace. There were a few very poor first touches, the ball bouncing off him. Uh, he, he did have a couple good moments in buildup, but it was not by any means consistent or uh, super dangerous. I mean, he kind of fluffed his lines on that one. It was a whipped cross from Wea early on, but he really made like poor contact with the ball. Um, I think I think he might have just kind of been in his own head. He's a, he's a kid. He, he did press well and, and got into good defensive positions, but it just wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't like a 
ruthless goal scorer feeling very comfortable and in the zone kind of performance from him him at all and that's what we want from him so yeah what do you think al yeah i i agree there's a few things to note about it and i just think for like the fan base we need to get out of the habit of making emotional assessments of the players and we need to do that fast because there's going to be more good players than we can fit into the roster and there's going to be some really really good players that aren't going to start and so thinking of these things unemotionally um, or just without emotion, I guess you could say, is the right way to assess the situation. Pepe was in, had been, I, I, maybe he was healthy coming into this game, but he wasn't playing routine minutes for FC Dallas, or at least not at the rate that he was. He picked up an injury, and then also when the transfer rumor started, he stopped playing. So he hadn't really been playing at club. And as soon as he was you know, revered as the, Locked in number nine, I thought it was kind of strange. He had such a small body of work uh, for the men's national team. And I even heard remarks um, to the degree of, well, he's our best nine. Josh, Josh Sargent's washed up. Or he's, um, what was the, yeah, he's washed up. And when the fan base starts thinking in those ways, you can almost guarantee that they're way too high on a certain player. But um, I thought the same thing that you did about Pepe. Um he looked like a guy who wasn't in his best form and contrasted with what Jesus Ferreira did when he came on. I think that was even more evident. Um, and again, I hope this guy is the best number nine that we ever produce. And I think he's a super talented player, but there's a difference between potential and current form. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that assessment part that you brought up, if you're looking to like tear somebody else down because that's the way for you to like say the guy other guy is better you should probably assess why you're doing it like that and actually look at you know the facts and whatnot 21 year olds can rarely be washed up uh yeah i think touching on jesus ferreira quickly because he only played a little bit i think he only had seven total touches but his touches overall you know small sample size uh were were very good um you can see why Greg brought him in. And this is something I kind of questioned. I was like, why is this kid getting brought in? He hasn't, you know, he he hasn't performed that well. um, Or or not that he hasn't performed that well, because he has been good at Dallas, but he's only been into the U S team once we brought in Pepe. He, he didn't seem like that much of a straightforward option to me, but Greg got it right here. And he got it right for a few different reasons. The, the guy, um, you know, maybe he can be our, our uh, Bobby Firmino light. He uh, knits the team together really well. He initiates the press from that kind of false nine position in a really, really good way. I would, I want to see more of him. I hope he gets some more time against, um, against Jamaica. And I actually think that Pepe was off the pace enough that Jesus should have been introduced a little bit earlier than he was. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I had been high on Jesus Ferreira um, for a while, even before coming into this game. And um, he was like the guy at FC Dallas. He was like the star prospect that they were producing before Ricardo Pepe came in. And he finished the 21 or 2021 campaign with a shoulder injury that put him out for about 65 days. He missed the last seven games of the season. And I remember him kind of still on the road to recovery coming into this year. So he's one of those guys that when you look at objectively, it's like, man, everyone is going to be way lower on him than they would otherwise be if he had finished the season in form. But um, yeah, I I liked what you called him, uh, Bobby Firmino light. And 
it kind of begs the question of what is the purpose of the nine in our team? And I prefer what it is that Jesus does at that position um, than just somebody who's a jack of all trades, master of none. And truth be told, we don't have somebody who's elite at everything. We have players who are like very good in the box, like your P folks and your DKs, but you kind of lose either mobility or that first touch. And then we have people who are great in the holdup, like Jesus and Josh. Um, and then we have people who are cold-blooded goal scorers. Um, but we don't have uh, like a master of everything. So you kind of have to pick your poison. And to be fair, there aren't a ton of those at all. So it's not something we should necessarily expect, but we should uh, we should be comfortable with how these different skill sets work, what ones complement the other ones better. And if a guy comes in and exhibits a Velcro touch, um, we should probably be thinking about what he can do next time. Um, yeah, I mean, on to Antony, or you want to close in word here? No, on, on to Antony. So... Anthony, I think there are moments where he looked brilliant. Um, there's a, late in the second half with that long run he made up the left-hand side. He looked really good. Uh, he had a cross earlier in the game that was very dangerous. It was one actually where Pepe ended up looking like he had some good some good build-up play in him or some good uh, hold-up. He, he took it down and, and passed it off, and we got a shot. But there were too many times with Anthony where he had very poor short mid-range passing that caused loss of possession. And it, it might've been kind of an, an, a nerves thing, but I, I remember during the game, it, there were too many times where I'd be like, whenever he would like do that. Cause you can't be given the ball away that he did multiple, multiple times. Uh, I think the kid is by far our best left back, but yeah, a little bit of a, few too many sketchy moments from Antony in this one for me. Yeah, I agree. There were a few too many sketchy moments from Antony for me in this one. Um, there was there was like a play on the sideline where he like prevented a ball from going out of bounds. And I remember you, as soon as he like was making his run to the ball, you were like, it's probably going to be better off that he just lets that go out of bounds. And he saved it, but put himself out of the play and saved it right to uh, a Mexican winger who like took it towards our box in like a 3v3 situation or a 3v4 I don't know what it was but he had some questionable moments that um, if we were playing against stronger competition could have been very severe mistakes Um, his touch was a little bit off during the game I thought early on but he did give us enough going forward to validate and remind us like why he's in the team Um, so that's kind of what I think about Anthony but I gotta I gotta mention you know, those were the two players that we didn't think played well. There were a few others who we wanted to note were above expectations. They weren't like key players, but they played above expectations. And I'd like to bring up DeAndre Yedlin for a moment because his relationship with, with Anthony is actually very important for the fan base to consider. Um, Yedlin, Yedlin had some very, very strong defensive moments, and he gets this uh, criticism for not being able to put in a cross, but I actually thought he was pretty responsible. and. Um, pretty sound on the ball. My point with the relationship between those two is it might make sense for our team to have a right or left back that's more oriented towards defensive responsibilities so the other can play more aggressively. I could I can vividly remember a few plays where if Desk were on the field instead of um, Yedlin, we may have been defensively shit out of luck. And the one that definitely comes to mind is uh, Chucky Lozano's 
more or less one-on-one where Yedlin chased him down. Like, I don't know if Des would have ever been in that position in the first place or if he would have had the defensive mindset to make the play that Yedlin did. Yeah, and I heard some people given using that play as evidence of, um, you know, Yedlin playing poor defense. But as I recall, that sequence began with a giveaway in the midfield from Tyler Adams. And, uh, you know, when your center defensive midfielder gives away the ball, um, it's unsurprising when your right back is up in a more advanced position trying to, you know, provide an outlet for possession and then has to backtrack. If anything, and you kind of touched on this, Yedlin did a really good job cutting off the angle, forcing the shot to be in a more predictable spot for Stefan. And then Stefan makes a great save. Um, yeah, I, I've been saying this about Yedlin, I think for a while now, the guy is a journeyman professional. He's made it from Seattle to Newcastle, to Tottenham, to Newcastle, to Turkey. Now, uh, I don't think Yedlin gets very uh, tilted by the moment um, playing in some of those stadiums in Turkey. If just look up videos, guys, you'll, you'll know, or most of you probably already do know that listen to this, what it's like over there. Uh, he is a steady hand, pair of hands. Yeah. He got dusted by, um, by uh, God. I, why do I always forget his name? The left offender. Alfonso for, Davies. Yeah, by Alfonso Davies. But who in the world does not get dusted by Alfonso Davies? It's why Alfonso Davies is who he is. He's one of the best. He's the like, best left back in the world, maybe. So um, you can't really use that as a criticism against Yedlin without, you know, smirking. Uh, he's just a consummate pro journeyman. Um, he's really, really good, responsible in possession, more or less going to put in decent balls. Uh, yeah, I, we're, we're lucky to have this guy as our backup right back. And I think there is good things to consider, um, with the balance that you're talking about having somebody getting further forward and somebody who's a bit more defensively minded, uh, all these things, I think we should caveat with if they're of sufficient quality, you know, with the Paul Areolas of the world aside, uh, we should you know, consider different options and what their value is. Yeah, I agree. Sir. And are there any other players that you would like to highlight before we move on to the key moments of the game? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll do the center back pairing in general. Um, Miles Robinson is very, very good. I really hope he gets a move soon. He was decisive in key moments. He gave the, he's good in wide areas because of his pace, which is pretty important. Um, yeah, he's a very good defender. Um, Zimmerman, I, you know, maybe underrated him, um, but he had for his skill set probably one of the best games I've ever seen him play, and it was the right thing for the moment. It provided the type of balance we needed, and it really helped with weathering the nerves. These games can get really funky if. The wrong thing is done when the goalie should have cleared it and they ended up passing it short, or the defender should have cleared it when he ended up passing it short. There were multiple times where I was like, "Oh, Zimmerman, why didn't you pass the, you know, pass the ball there instead of just hoofing it?" And then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, "You know what? That's okay, even if it was a bit too conservative, because the risk of the opposite in this very moment is not what we want to have going on." And this is a credit to Burhalter moment here because he got the balance right. He put guys out there with what seemed to be proper instruction in order for them not to do things that would lead to really bad, you know, scenarios that 
that made us feel feel bad also like oh my god i can't believe we just did this we're never going to win playing like that we avoided that type of stuff which then allowed us to springboard and just our quality showed even though we could have scored a little bit earlier and and boom we're super happy so yeah big credit to the center back pairing in there in the balance that it brought to the rest of the team yeah and it should be noted that both of those two are in form at competitive clubs in the mls so um i i do think that there's a piece of everything that we've explored so far that has to do with how is the individual playing in the moment um we'll move on uh that will be a theme that we revisit probably in pods pods to come um the the individual's form at the time that the roster selection comes out or the game is being played. So let's move on to key moments in the game. Um, Ice cold Pulisic, man in the mirror. I mean, this is another, this is not only another iconic moment in the history of men's soccer, uh, U.S. men's soccer, but it's another iconic moment that belongs to Christian Pulisic. Absolutely. Such a feel good moment. And he has in, in, uh, past interviews, I swear I've heard him say something like, you know, a lot of people give me criticism, but I'm my biggest critic and that kind of stuff. And this, like, this man in the mirror moment, we need to just roll with it. I pray that they start playing that song before before games. I want it to be like our, um, our You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh, they're, you know, ju- not just because it trolls Mexico. That's like the icing on the cake for it. But this, like idea of like self-reflection and that like you know you need to better like look in the mirror and make yourself better and it both it for yourself and like as a collective uh i think it's something the entire fan base can get behind and it was organically generated from the players um you know christian is just the focal point of it because he's the one that scored and and was able to show his t-shirt presumably the other guys had it written on theirs for whoever was going to score but um yeah, it's just like this is this is quite amazing. Um, yeah, I, I really hope it is a seminal moment for the U.S. men's national team program, and we we really have a like a really cohesive, positive culture around the team that that sprouts from it. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. I would love to hear "Man in the Mirror" be like the song that represents this generation of footballers. Um, let's move on to another key moment in the game. Uh, Aronson getting his face clawed off. Damn. I mean, that was, I I guess my interpretation, not only that uh, Rodriguez is a a dirty player, which I mean, that nothing new there. Like that's, that's what this rivalry is, but that happened right in front of the referee's eyes. Like if you watch the replay of what happened, the ref literally appeared to have his eyes on Aronson's face. And it was a, it was a moment that was like a, a continuation, like the, overly physical moment had been building up for seconds and then finally um the eye claw game went down and i just like thought to myself the ref has totally lost control of this game um it was totally out of his element but it actually served us quite well it did we reacted really maturely uh and ended up going on to win it could have gone it could have gone a lot worse from there and it's funny because it goes you know, these are key flash moments. Mexico, the reason they do this kind of crap is because we're whooping their ass. And you know what? That's what our guys remembered. And I wonder if Weston was saying that kind of stuff when he came in to just be like, oh, yeah, you doing that? You know you're going to lose, don't you? Don't you? Like that kind of thing right in his grill. Um, but, yeah, the ref lost control. That's, you know, this is the CONCACAF, I guess. <laughs> like, 
this is the only part of CONCACAF that I think is a legitimate like thing. The away, away toughness and all of this. No, it's the shit-ass refing. That is the one factual thing that makes CONCACAF different. Our ability to react to it in a positive way and go on to win kind of says it all. And I touched on Weston slightly, but I want to really give him a shout here. He's a warrior. I don't mind the yellow that he got at all there. I know other people would disagree, think he needs to be more mature. I don't give a fuck. When one of your dudes is on the ground and some asshole is clawing at his face, you get in the fucking opponent's grill and you let him know. It doesn't matter that he got a yellow card. And this is this is one of the great things about Weston McKinney is like he wants to take our group and and show the strength, you know, and, and be resilient. And yeah, props to him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, you need the player who's going to mix it up and who's going to stand in and, and receive that yellow card. And um, it's important in those moments to set the tempo a little bit when a dirty play happens to let the opponent know that you're not going to be pushed around and you're going to push the limit just as just as hard as they will. Um, I did think the referee giving Wes a yellow was, uh, in comparison to the offense that was on the field, was just absolutely asinine. I don't mind his yellow at all. And truth be told, like I'm, I'm kind of... Excited to see Busio in the next fixture. Um, Wes gets to go. Hopefully, he, he travels right back to Juventus and keeps balling out in Syria. But to your point, like somebody's got to step up in those moments. Um, I yeah, guess absolutely closing out with um, with big moments. I mean, Weston obviously Weston's goal was fantastic as well. I mean, talk to us a little bit about what you experienced in that moment. So, uh, you know, there's an interesting tactical shift that led to this because this was post the midfield substitution where Acosta had came in and Weston had kind of slotted in more to the role that um, Eunice had been playing. So getting a bit more advanced, though, he was relatively advanced for most of the game. Uh, the passing interchange and everything that he, with Jesus, I know it was a deflection, but it was a nice ball in from the sideline. I believe it was Wea that played it in. West does a dummy, and then Jesus plays it back to him, and, and West is trying to play it back. You know, great one-touch movement, and a midfielder getting into an advanced position. This is like real... This is real football, you know, and Mexico is at sixes and sevens at the back. Ball coughs up, easy finish into the bottom corner. You said it when we were watching. You're like, yeah, it never looked like he was going to miss that one. So, yeah, this is ugh, it was it's great. To, great to see that. That's where Weston is. Weston is um, he is. I wouldn't say he's the best player in CONCACAF because there's that Alfonso Davies guy. But um, I, he's challenging for it. We do, It's kind of weird because like we don't know exactly where his ceiling is. If you watch him at club, his club seems to be playing through him. I don't, I don't know exactly where Weston is right now and where he's going. All I know is that this is a great question that we have to ask ourselves. What, Where exactly is Weston at and what exactly does his ceiling look like? It's almost surreal. Yeah, part of that I think is because we as Americans are not capable yet of believing how good some of these guys could end up being until we see it with our own eyes. And then we see it twice and we're like, wait, that wasn't an accident the first time. So I agree. Um, who knows? Who knows what he's going to be? It's, it's looking phenomenal, though. Uh, I guess we can the last flashpoint, and this one is not flashpoint, but big moment in the game is the red card for uh, Miles Robinson. I don't mind it. I mean, it sucks to see him out. Um, you don't like to. I, I don't think it's good to go into um, different games with center back pairings. Um, it's one of the things that I wish we would do a little bit differently. I'm, I'm all for experimentation, but I do think it's really important for the center back pairings to know each other, know each other's habits, and kind of move into the next game um, as a unit. 
that said, um, and I think it was you who brought this up, um, Zimmerman and Richards is going to be an interesting combination. Yeah, I, uh, I did bring that up. I think, I think it will be, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate we weren't able to get Robinson off sooner. I'm, I'm pretty sure Richards was intended to come in for, for Robinson. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to look at some of these losses of players as positives, like you did with uh, interested to see Busio. And for me, it's interested to see, um, or in regards to miles here, it's, I'm interested to see what the, the combination, the yin and yang between a Zimmerman and a Richards will be, you know, a more of a, a ball winning aggressive type and a um, calmer play nice passes type. I think there might be something good going on there. We'll talk about it more in the, uh, the preview of the next game, but um, just some, some quick stuff to close out the, the review here. Um, I think our identity is starting to formulate uh we were brave. We showed our quality and we were pressing the snot out of them. They were having a ton of trouble. We are getting multiple players into their passing lanes. The guys were not, the Mexicans were not capable of getting the ball consistently through our lines and we're having to play it long and our good in the air center backs were eating it up. Um, it was great to see that. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit, imposing our will on the other team, being, being confident, take the initiative. Um, there's been so many accounts of what this rivalry looks like and what our play is in CONCACAF that almost serves as an excuse to not do those things. And we've observed that in the way that we've played certain games. Like We've been extremely defensively oriented in away fixtures. I think that is something that we're going to have to see from Burhalter is can he play with the same type of offensive mindset um, on the road. But that identity and adopting that type of persona that we're going to press, we're going to be aggressive, we're going to set the tone, We've got the skill to do that, and we should be doing it in every, probably every CONCACAF game, in any game against what's close to or almost certainly lesser competition. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think this plays into a little bit of the, like, Burhalter and just the squad growth in general. He seems to be going to a place that, you know, at least in our minds, a lot of the fans were at already in terms of how we wanted to play. Uh I get the vibe from him that he's just kind of a, um, he's kind of like, a, he's conservative in general and slow to move and doesn't want to upset the boat too much, but he does seem fairly willing to do what is the correct thing to do. Uh, I mean, when you see stuff like this, um, it, it's hard not to give the guy a bunch of credit for eventually getting there. Uh, I, and then even I start to question, like, well, was it the correct pace to get there or not? Did, did we want too much too soon? Um, I, I think maybe we didn't want too much too soon. And Greg held on to some of his favorites for a little bit too long. And I also want to, like, state that what happens in the Jamaica game and how we approach that is going to be super important for this conversation because it's going to codify a little bit more what Greg's mentality is and what he thinks the squad is going to be moving forward. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing to me. I think a lot of the complaints about Burhalter can really be drawn to this, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to do things too fast. I don't want to change it too much. I'm a little bit nervous that doing that is going to like bother the young guys and make them not confident. Like that kind of thing. I think it was going through his head a whole bunch and maybe more than it needed to. Yeah, I, I a hundred percent 
agree. Um, I thought that was like a great assessment of the situation just as a whole. Um, there's a few things that you said, and um, one of them that was important is that to note is he's kind of been conservative with the way that he's making decisions and the way that he's kind of adopting and changing. Um, we all have our reasons uh, to believe that Burhalter has made past decisions um, f- for for one for one motivation or another. I like to adopt the mentality that he was just slow to change and needed to see the squad perform and and kind of believe in this new footballing style. Um, he did get the decisions right in this game, and it really it, it's really going to matter. We'll feel way better about this game if we see play that's consistent with the way that we played in Cincinnati in our next game against Jamaica. Um, if we regress to this Acosta, Leggett, um, Roldan type of play in Jamaica, or we tie, or we lose, I mean, if we roll out the right formation and play with the right mindset, and the ball just goes the wrong way in some cases, and I'm trying not to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but I think the point of what I'm getting to is that there's a style he decided to play with in this game. We should continue to play with that style. It seems to be by far and away the better option in, in games that we play. And the representation that he's understood and is gonna consist, going to consistently make changes will be displayed in the game against Jamaica. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and some stuff that I personally will never be able to let go of, no matter what Burhalter does, is... You know, I don't like the way that he got the job, and I don't think I should ever have to let go of it. Or anybody that's holding on to that cannot be fairly called like, oh, you're unwilling to get over it or whatever. Institutional corruption is not what we need in United States soccer. End. End of it. You know, and I do still think there are better people for this job than Burhalter. But you know what? Right now, Burhalter's doing a good job, and he deserves to keep going with it and see where we go. So, you know, great job. Greg Burhalter, and we hope that it continues in the Jamaica game, and we hope that it continues all the way into the into the World Cup. Uh, it, you know, we want good things for this team, and we're happy to see them when they happen. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll I'll second that. Um, we give him credit when credit is deserved, but a big win against Mexico doesn't erase past transgressions. We still have to be aware that there's a decision-making pattern that's existed that the fan base isn't okay with and hasn't resulted in wins. Um, there's a decision-making style that us, you know, us soccer has used that seems on the corrupt side of things. Um, and so, you know, we're specifically addressing this because there are talking heads out there. I, I namely, I namely want to point to Taylor Twelman. He, he criticizes the fan base on not giving Burhalter any credit when he deserves credit but at the same time is unwilling to be critical in moments where he needs to be critical. And it's almost a poor representation of how the fan base feels. Um, what's even more troubling about the way that Twelman reports is what he has to say about McKinney. Um, and I think what he said about McKinney is actually, it encompasses his mindset in the way that he reports perfectly. Yeah. When you were saying, oh, we should add this in. I am like almost of the mentality where I'm like, I don't even want to dignify his fucking bullshit with a response. Um, on the Greg Burhalter thing, it's just him f- trying to get a bunch of people fired up about stuff that is just, it, like you had already said, a big win does not erase the past mistakes. And Jamaica result and approach is going to go a long way to telling what really, you know, what how, reg, how G-Reg uh, really deals with all of this stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, 
Twelman, everybody's giving fucking Burhalter credit. Get off your high horse. And especially get off your sanctimonious, hypocritical high horse regretting Weston McKinney. Dude, you called him out for not wearing a mask at the zoo. And then you're just like, oh, I love Weston. I tell say good things about him, too. Like, bro, shut up. Just shut up about it. Like, you're yeah. you're being an asshole straight up. And people do not respect it. Yeah, and people are aware and they can see right through it. Um, all right, he doesn't get any more airtime, but no. I, we we needed to get that one out there. Um, all right, so we've got Jamaica uh, uh, coming up. I mean, what are we gonna do with Wes and Miles out? I mean, I'm kind of excited about Wes yeah. and Miles being out, so I can <laughs> see these other guys in action. That's a great feeling. Yeah, well, it seems like the first thing we're gonna do is call in James Sands, which you know what. Seems like a solid decision. The guy didn't perform that well in the past, but he can play center mid and he can play center back. He's located domestically. That We lost a center mid, we lost a center back, and we need somebody in quickly. Boom. Checks the box, right? Good to go. I have no qualms over that. Um, I am super interested in what I consider, and I'm pretty sure, Al, you consider to be the biggest threat from Jamaica, Mikel Antonio. I think Miles Robinson would have been well-equipped to deal with him as well-equipped as any center back that we have to deal with somebody oh, yeah. like Antonio, but we don't have him. So that, to me, is maybe the biggest matchup problem the U.S. has going into this game. Yeah, Mikel Antonio is super athletic. He's super fast, and he's got like this almost unorthodox stri- style of playing striker. Like He can just manufacture goals in a number of different ways. and. Um, Robinson's speed was a really good way to manage Antonio, at least to some degree. I don't even, I don't even think he can be managed. Um, but we'll see how, we'll see how we deal with it. And we are such a better team than Jamaica in the midfield. And, um, their defense is, is fairly weak as well that we should be able to grind out a W, but yeah, we should watch out for Mikel Antonio. As far as the midfield goes, I'm, I'm hopeful to see Busio. Um, Busio has been a significantly better player in the last few games with Venezia than he was at the beginning of the season. He's corrected a lot of the errors that he made early on. Um, an incredible first touch, an incredible incredible ability to find the pass. Um, he could be, I mean, he could be one of the best options we have at taking spot kicks or corner kicks. Um, I would really like to see him coupled with Wes, but we're not going to get to see that at any rate. I'm excited to see Busio, and this is an opportunity for him to leave his mark and really raise some questions of, is MMA really the best starting trio in the midfield? Yeah, I'm not convinced Busio will be the starter. Um, I, I, I think he probably logically makes the most sense from a tactical standpoint to be the starter, but Acosta did put in a fairly solid performance. Greg tends to like him. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up seeing it uh, as... Adams, um, Musa, and Acosta. My reasoning for why I would rather see Busio than Acosta in this instance is that in this game compared to the Mexico game, we are going to have more of the ball. If we have more of the ball, Busio gets better and better. If we have less of the ball and we need to press them more often, often Acosta gets better and better. So that's why I think Busio would be the better selection between those two. But if we're going back and forth on this right now, it's one of those times where I get kind of nervous about what Greg going through Greg's head. And I wonder how much Sebastian Legette plays into his consideration here, because 
I don't know exactly what he sees in Legette. It's not what I see in Legette. So he might be mentally inserting him into the the type of thing that I'm I'm going back and forth and seeing there being more more gravity toward the Legette side of what he brings. Maybe he thinks, oh, we'll have the ball more. So Legette's pretty good at maintaining possession and rotating it around. I should put him in something like that. So fingers crossed that isn't what happens, but I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I, I, these are the things we need to watch for. Um... You know, I, I could understand the argument to have Acosta in the lineup. I, I'm very confident Busio is the option to pl- replace Wes, and I'm very confident that Leggett is the worst possible option he could select. There are other adjustments that he could also make, like with Weyer or Aronson. Is Ariola going to occupy one of those positions? Um, so, Yeah, you know, he did play Aronson as a central midfielder for that little bit, but he only did it once, and he seemed to go away from it pretty, co- pretty quick, and I don't think we consider it really successful. Plus Aronson's been phenomenal since he was in the wing consistently. So I kind of expect him to, to stay there. Um, do you think Pulisic is going to start? <sighs> no, I don't. I, I think he's going to be used in almost the identical capacity that he was used last game. And hopefully he doesn't get used at all. Cause we just whooped their ass. I hope so too. Um, what about Pepe? I think Pepe will start, but I am open to the argument that he doesn't deserve to start. Don't don't crucify me, everyone. I know I sound like a heretic right now, but he didn't play that well last game. And Ferreira looked very, very on point when he came in. And like I've said previously, he was stitching the team together in a more meaningful, better way. His touches were Velcro in some instances. I don't think it would be the worst thing to have... Uh, to make a change up there. Um, I also am of the belief that when you have young guys that are kind of off their, off their game a little bit, rotating them out, isn't the worst thing. Cause you don't want more pressure heaped upon them from externally. And then internally, like within the squad, it's putting more pressure on them to, to keep performing. Cause Hey man, next guy up, we got somebody else. You better up your level. Uh, so yeah, I think Pepe will start, but I'm not sure it's 100% he deserves to. Yep. Um, so three questions as we close this thing out. What does two wins in a row and good performances mean for the men's national team and for Burhalter? Uh, we touched on this briefly, right? Like we think it would be the solidification of the good performance that we had last game. It would continue in the development of this identity that seems to be great and successful for us. So yeah, I think two good performances, two complete performances in a row here, showing who we are and, and, you know, being, being brave, taking the initiative, all the things we keep, we keep hammering on until they'll become platitudes eventually. Uh, it, it would be the codification of all that. I'm with you there. And then, um, what does regression mean? What does poor selection? What does that mean for us? I, aren't we all going to go back to the drawing board? You're going to see a lot more hashtag Burhalter out suddenly if he if he throws a bunch of if he goes three four three and throws a uh, Sands and Acosta in the midfield and Ariola out on the wing. Um, whew, I, it'll make us we don't we won't even know. We'll be we'll be at sixes and sevens in our heads. We'll be like, what in the hell is going on? Did he watch the last game? It it feels so unlikely, but you got to say it because it happened that time before. Yeah, and I think like being t- telling the 
telling ourselves and the community now what the evaluation criteria is almost uh, removes us from any criticism of being fair weather fans. Berhalter knows what a good roster looks like, and he knows how to deploy it. He just did it in the Mexico game. He knows what a bad roster looks like, and he knows how to deploy it. He's done it in several games already. So, um, yeah, that it's more or less our evaluation criteria. And well, let me ask you an, a, a final question in closing. Let's say he deploys exactly what you want to see on the field, exactly what you think is the ideal lineup, and we lose. Um, well, I can be quite an idealist with this type of stuff. And I am one that believes in performance over results. And I know that isn't always the best thing. Uh, you know, results are what get you where you need to be. But I believe that results come in more consistency, consistently when you uh, go out there with a plan, believe in your plan and try to execute your plan. So I will not criticize Greg Burhalter if he does what I believe to do, be the right way to go about the business and we do not win because at least we are doing it in a way that is, you know, in line with, with how we really should be playing, at least in my opinion. Yeah. I'm there. I'm right there with you. I, I will be amicable if the result isn't there, but the tactics and the technique is. Um, Ryan, are there any closing remarks that we need to share with the fans at home? No, I uh, I don't have too much to go. I'm or too much left to say. I'm super excited for for Tuesday, uh, and yeah, really, really looking forward to to how all of this goes down. It's uh, exciting times right now. It, it feels like it's all happening, and I'm I'm glad I get to watch it. I'm right there with you. I'm excited for the game that's coming up. We're as a fan base in a really good spot, and hopefully, it continues that way. Expect to hear back from us sometime next week. Um, we're going to have an interview coming up with a guy who's been involved in the creation of MLS teams and has been reporting on it for quite some time. Uh, more to come there. From uh, Fat Ronaldo's children, we encourage everyone to go out, eat a pork chop, enjoy their weekend, and um, we'll be coming back to you sometime soon. Ryan, take care, buddy. Have a good one.